Romans 6, 15 to 23. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under, by, but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God, that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death, but now you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God. The benefit you reap leads to holiness, and this result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, let me extend my welcome to you if you're visiting. My name's Adrian. I'm the pastor here. I'm on top of Doug and Rachel's welcome. It's lovely to have you visiting here with us on this Good Friday. Uh, there's a reason it's called Good Friday. Um, it isn't, as Rachel said, finishes today. It, we look forward to Sunday. But there's some victories which happen when we reflect on the cross. And uh, over the last few weeks, we've been looking at those. And today, we're going to look at the victory of redemption. So... Uh, if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them up. If you don't, I'll have some things up on the screen uh, behind us and, uh, and we're going to have a bit of a look at what, what Christ did for us on the cross as we reflect on this Good Friday. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you that we come before you this morning uh, having been set free, free to choose righteousness simply because of the ransom that was paid by Jesus' death on the cross. Ransom that demonstrated your great love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And Father God, it's a real privilege to come and gather in peace, to be able to do it freely in a country. And Father, as we, as we do that now, we, we do pray that you'll bless our hearts through the Holy Spirit with truth, that you'll reveal yourself to us and you'll convict us of any change that we may, may need to make. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm sure most of us are familiar. Do we have a PowerPoint up? Most of us are familiar with William Wilberforce. Uh, you might have seen a movie, you might have read a book, you might have just heard a bit about him. But he was born in 1759. He uh, inherited quite a bit of money uh, and he ended up in Parliament at the age of 21 years of age uh, in 1780. Now, the historian Ellen Wilson says this of Wilberforce. Wilberforce was little over five feet tall, a frail and elfin figure, who in his later years weighed well under 100 pounds, that's 45 kilograms. His charm was legendary, his conversation delightful, his oratory impressive, 
He dressed in the colourful finery of the day and adorned any salon with his amiable manner. Sounds like a kind of fellow you want to take down the pub and have a beer with. See, Wilberforce was converted to Christ in 1784. And in 1787, the Society for the Abolition of the Slave Trade was uh, established. And they approached Wilberforce and asked him to be their representative in Parliament. And they weren't sure how committed he was to the cause. But in 1791, Wilberforce introduced into Parliament uh, a movement to abolish, uh, a bill to abolish the slave trade. But it was completely defeated, convincingly. 1796, 1804, 1805, he, he put bills before the Parliament, all all defeated. But then in 1806, bills began being passed, which went about making the slave trade illegal. Wilberforce himself uh, spent years and years and years, as most of you know, fighting this wonderful cause. Uh, But he died in 1833 before seeing any of the slaves set free. But the fight continued after his death, and on the 1st of August, 1840, All slaves in the British Empire were set free. But it came at a price. In order to redeem the slaves from their masters, the British government had to pay a price. And the price was £20 million at that time. Now, I went on to the the Bank of England website and they've actually got a calculator, uh, as good finance people do, for everything. And and in today's money, they reckon that's £2.1 billion today or $3.8 billion Australian dollars. So the government had to pay a fee or an amount to buy the slaves back. They were bought from slavery with a ransom, the buyback price, for freedom. And today, as we gather together on Good Friday, we're looking at this victory of the cross, the victory of redemption. And we were redeemed from slavery with a ransom price for freedom. And that's what it says in this Bible passage that Jacob just read for us. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn it there, but I'm going to refer to it. I've got a few slides up. And the first thing we do see is that we were redeemed from slavery. We were all slaves. Kind of sounds ridiculous, doesn't it? But see, verse 17 says, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin. Verse 18 says you have been set free from sin. Verse 20 says, when you were slaves to sin. Verse 22 says, but now that you have been set free from sin. You see, Paul is emphasizing this point over and over and over again. He's saying you were slaves to sin. We were slaves to a master and we needed to be redeemed from that master in order to be set free. It demanded of us what any master demands of a slave, whatever it wanted. And if we resisted, if we fought against our master, the Bible says ultimately we did not have self-control, but we would fall under the control of this sin. We could not master sin, but sin was our master. Now my question is, are you a dog or a cat person? 
I'm a cat person. I like to see a cat sitting like that. Uh, But if you think about dogs and cats, the big difference between dogs and cats is who the master is. Now, I've watched people train dogs. Uh, there's, I've seen some, actually some things on YouTube shorts and TikTok where, where this guy approaches uh, owners of dogs that are going nuts and he just sits with them and after about half an hour, he, he's able to get the dog to sit and stand and walk with him and not bark at everything that goes past. See, dogs are easily trained, but at home we have a cat And guess what happens to me every night? It scratches on my bed to make sure that I get up and let it out at the certain time in the morning that it wants to be let out. If it's hungry, it shows me affection and everything, but it won't let me alone until I do what it wants doing. Yeah, well, I tell you what, I got people walking past my house all the time with dogs and they are needy. The thing I like about cats is they're the master of their own destiny. They're the captains of their own soul. Uh, they're the ultimate in postmodernism, I think, but, um, and relativism. Anyway, that's another story. So, but fundamentally, at the heart of this is who the master of a dog and cat is. You see, a master of a dog is usually its owner, but I tell you, the master of a cat is no one. No one. They are the master of us. See, before we come to Jesus, we think we are the master of our sin. We, we seem to think it's like this little puppy dog that we train, and okay, we do some bad things, but we just, we just train it to kind of not affect our life too much. We think we are the master of our sin as if it's a puppy dog. But here it's telling us that it's more like a cat. It is the master of us. Regardless of how much we try to master it, it is not going to listen to us. It is going to do and make us do what it is, what it wants. In verse 19, Paul says, Just as you were used, you used to offer the parts of your body in slavery to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. You see, we were slaves, whether you like to hear that or not. Sin took control of us. See, before Jesus, there is nothing else to live for except the things of this world. When you think about spiritual things even, it is in Christ where we're set free to to live spiritually and and to, to seek things beyond this kingdom. But really, the central part of our lives it's our wants and our desires. Just look at all the marketing. What are the, what's it appealing to? It's all about you. Create your own empire. Get your own superannuation nest egg. Our families become our kingdoms. We lust after the things that give us joy and happiness in terms of this world. See, we end up with a moral code that is looking at the world and not looking at God. And so we are within this mastery and we don't even know it. See, having sin as our master means we cannot please God, we cannot seek him, we cannot honour him, we cannot rightly worship him. We are slaves to all that actually opposes him. The Bible in Romans 3 says that there is no one righteous, not even one, no one who seeks God, no one who understands. All have turned away together. They have become corrupt. See, having sin as our master means that we cannot be in relationship with, to God. But the good news this Easter, for those of us who have put our trust in Jesus, 
is that the Bible tells us we have been redeemed. We have been bought back from slavery to sin with a ransom price, the payment price, the buyback price, which is Jesus' death on the cross. And there are two things I just want to uh, make mention of here about uh, Jesus' death. It was a ransom. Now, the biblical understanding of redemption is rooted in ransom, a price being paid. Now, for those who are old enough, which is most of us, I believe, uh, there was, uh, in John Howard's era, a terrible massacre that happened down in Port Arthur in Tasmania, you remember. And one of John Howard's big achievements, and he always talks about this as Prime Minister, was the gun buyback scheme. And what the, what the government did is basically set a price to buy back all the guns that people had so that they could do with them whatever they wanted. So the owner of the gun was basically paid a price, they would give the gun to the government and the government could do whatever it wanted to with it. And for that was to destroy it, to set people free from the fear of guns and, and, and whatnot. See, they bought the guns back. They redeemed them. And this is the biblical understanding of redemption, just as we talked about in England. The buying back of the slaves in order to do whatever it is that you would have them uh, do. Because you effectively become the master of that gun or the master of that slave when you buy it back. See, we are redeemed from sin and it was the price of Jesus' death. Well, the second thing about this redemption is it had to be a death. So the ransom needed to be worthy. It needed to satisfy what the cost would be. If you remember back at creation in Genesis 2.16, God created man, put him in the garden And then gave this command in Genesis 2.16. You are free to eat from any of the tree of the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. See, at the beginning of that passage in Romans 6, in verse 21, it says, What benefit? What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? These things result in death. And in verse 23, it says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, the wages, the consequence, the punishment for sin was death. And so in order to buy us back, a death had to be paid. But it couldn't be any death because any other person's death is unworthy because they also deserve death. It had to be someone who did not deserve to die, someone who was worthy to offer himself as the sacrifice, as a substitution and a ransom price. The Bible says, He who was without sin, that is Jesus. He who was without sin. See, God himself, the Son of God, came in order to offer himself as the ransom because he was the worthy one. He was the only one who could live a perfect life without sin and not deserve death. And so that substitution, that redemption price was of so great 
a cost. Because the one who did not deserve to die, died on your behalf. He redeemed you with a payment of a ransom. He paid the cost for you. We're told in the Bible it's because of his great love for us that in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. See, we have been redeemed from slavery to sin with a ransom price, but with a purpose. It's for the freedom to choose righteousness. The freedom to choose righteousness. In verses 15 and 16 of Romans 6 there, it says this, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are, you are slaves to the one you obey, whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Notice in verse 16, Paul is talking about now offering ourselves. The perfect, righteous one offered himself to buy us back. And he has bought freedom. And now we get to use that freedom in order to offer ourselves to him. Not to earn anything but as a great thanksgiving because who else would you like to follow apart from the very one who has given up his whole life for you, who sacrificed his one and only son for you? We are now free to obey the righteousness into which we have been saved. So we were created to live in righteousness. We now have the freedom to do that as the Holy Spirit lives in us. Now I have friends who used to have a cockatoo in a cage. It was a bit of a silly idea, really. Sorry if anyone's got a cockatoo in a cage, but they had all these beautiful trees behind them with cockatoos all the way through them. And on their back veranda, they had a cockatoo in a cage. And I think one day they had a moment where they just went, I don't think this is right. And so they had this moment where they opened the cage door and thought, we'll just let it free. It walked out, had a look around, and until it died, it lived in that cage with an open door. It never went and used the freedom that it was given because it was too afraid to step out and follow this freedom. And in the same way, God has opened the cage of our sin. He's opened the slavery, the cage that we were bound by. And we are free to walk out into the life which we were called to live, a a life that lives and follows him, lives for him and follows him. And what Paul's saying here is, what then, shall we sin because we are no longer under the law but under grace? He's saying, so you've been set free. What, are we going to go back in the cage and live in the cage? No, because that's not freedom. That's not how true life is. You were bound. Why would you put yourself back in the cage and live with this sin that is causing you so much grief? No, be free and live according to God's way. And there, that's the reason we have been set free at Easter. Galatians 5.1 says it is for freedom 
that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. In other words, don't make Christ's sacrifice for nothing. Use this freedom to live in the way which you couldn't when you were slaves, to seek him, to follow him, to worship him rightly. And at the end of that, uh, at the end of that chapter in Galatians, Paul urges us to live in the fruits of the Holy Spirit that now lives in us when we put our trust in Jesus. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. He says against such things there is no law. Because I think at the heart of all of us, when we live according to these ways, when we love freely, when we are faithful to, our, uh, to the people of this world and to God, when we are gentle, when we are good, when we are kind, when we encounter all these things, we know there is something right about it. It's because they are the ordained ways to live by God. So I encourage each of us this Easter, firstly, to grasp hold of this freedom, this victory that's been won for us here on the cross. God himself sacrificed on your behalf as the buyback price to buy you back from your master and set you free but I encourage you also to live freely in the ways God has asked you to live, in the fruits of the Spirit, in the love that he has for you and for, uh, for, for you and all he has called. Now, I think there's some real practical ways we can do that in our local world, in our universal world. You know, the world says, you know, give peace a chance. John Lennon said that, didn't he? You know, love is the way. Love is the, you know, the world knows these things, but we've been set free to do that. So when you come and encounter your world, meditate on these things, these good things, and, and seek to honour God. But always know that when you fail, just as we put pieces of paper as a symbol to lay our life down at the cross where we have not lived that perfect life, know always that this great ransom was for your past, your present, and your future sin. doesn't mean we keep going on sinning, but you have been fully set free and you can live in great hope and righteousness and great joy and freedom as we reflect on that in Christ. Well, please pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you that on this wonderful Good Friday we can say it truly is good because of the victory of redemption. Father God, thank you for redeeming us, for buying us back out of our master's hands of sin and for setting us free for the victory to live a life of righteousness, of joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Father God, we pray that you will bless us and enable us through your Holy Spirit to live that way. But Father God, this morning I pray for anyone who is here who has not yet laid their life into Jesus' sacrifice, that they have not asked forgiveness for their sin and been set free. I pray that you will move them to do that. And Father God, we pray for those of us who have done that, not to go and live back in the cage, 
but to go and be free, to declare your good news and to live a life worthy of that good news for the gospel. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.